0: Jesus is about to do something. He's about to do something. For, I mean, we've been on this series. I I don't even know if the series will ever end. Um, Perhaps it'll end when Jesus comes, because that's when we'll be unified, right? But the Lord keeps bringing me back to this. And, and every week, you know, I, I, I just study every day, I pray, I, I seek his face every day. And Lord, you know, what will you have me say this week? And, and you know, I've, I've shared with you many times, he, he doesn't tell me until I get up here, or, or sometimes the night before that morning. This week, he has, and really the last few weeks, he has taken me back to the same thing over and over and over again. And, and this week he took me, took me back there again. And, and I'm like, We're done. I, I'm not sure that there's anything new I could tell him on this. I, I, I don't know, you know, exactly what you want me to say. And then last night, I don't know you, you'd have to ask Alexis when it was. I can't remember. It was probably 11 or 12 last night. I, I'm reading and, and boom. Epiphany. He just made his his word again, another aspect of this thing, come alive. And what I'm talking about is the glory that's coming. The glory that is coming on this earth before the church, the bride of Christ, is taken. Before we're taken in the rapture. Remember, I've said you know for weeks now how how the Holy Spirit showed me in Revelation three verse nine that before the church is taken, it's not a doom and gloom situation. However, it is a situation of glory, and we're going to get to that a little bit later. I I think I've read that verse just about every week now for (laughs) I don't know how many how many weeks, but we're going to get to that here in a second. But what he began to show me last night and and throughout this week was the promises of the church parallel the promises of Israel. Okay, Israel is God's chosen nation, God's chosen people. And when Jesus Christ came as the Messiah of Israel, as the Messiah of his people, they rejected him. And they killed him. And he hung on a cross and died on the cross for their sins and for ours, but they rejected him. Okay, now, from that point on, the church was born. Actually, technically, it was about 43 days after Jesus Christ died on the cross, the church was born. No, I'm sorry, 53 days. Because it was 10 days after Jesus Christ died ascended into heaven, Pentecost came, the church was filled with the Holy Spirit in power, and the church of Acts began. So those promises that were given to Israel, did they shift over to the church? No. You'd have to cut out about a third of the Bible if you want to believe that Israel was then changed to the church and the promises. However, did all the promises stay with Israel? No. See, the church, and we're going to read this in a second, the church also began to get grafted in to those promises. So what he showed me this week was that we run on very similar parallels to Israel. There are promises that God gave Israel... That God will fulfill in Israel. Let's read about that first. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter sixty. Now, Isaiah is just an amazing book. If if you if you read the Gospels, you'll see Jesus quotes Isaiah, and so does so does Paul and so do the apostles. They quote Isaiah so much. Isaiah is much of Isaiah is a prophetic book. And what we're going to read here is the future glory of Israel. Okay, This is where Israel, this is one of the promises to Israel. Remember, in all of history, Israel has never been a global power. In fact, more times than not, they have been dispersed or under rule. When Jesus came as the Messiah, they were under Roman rule. That's why they, they rejected him because they thought he was coming in power. They thought he was coming in a physical sense to set up his physical kingdom here on earth. So when he didn't do that, they rejected him. Okay? So all the history of Israel has never, there has never been a time where Israel is a world power or a global leader. Okay? Closest they ever came was when they took the land of Canaan. When they went in and took the promised land, and that was over time. That was the closest they ever came. So let's start in verse 1 of chapter 60. This is speaking, Isaiah is speaking about Israel. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Talking about Israel. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. And we're going to just stop there, but if you were to go on, you would see that that what Jesus is saying here, what God is saying and prophesying over Israel is that they will become a global power. That the very seat of authority will sit in Jerusalem. That all the kings of the earth will come to them, will bring gifts to them if you continue reading. It also says that they will bow to them. Why? Because Jesus Christ Will be their king. Now, what this is talking about has never happened, right? I'm, if it did, I missed it. <laughs> I don't know. You let me know if it did. Because I know Jesus has never taken the throne of David. I also know that Israel has never been that sort of a world power, had that sort of influence in the world. But yet, it's promised right here in Isaiah. And, and more so than that even, if again, I, I'll encourage you this week to read, continue reading. You can actually start in chapter 58 or 57 and read the next few chapters up, up into even through the end of the book. And, and it's never happened before. But what it also says is those nations who lift up Israel, those nations who, who befriend and love and adore Israel, they will prosper. Now, it's not talking about they will become part of Israel. It, it clearly talks about there being other nations that if they hold up Israel in friendship, they will prosper. But then it also says those nations that don't will fail. Those nations that don't hold up Israel will fall away, will dissolve. Again, this has not happened yet. This has never happened In a global scale, right? Happened in a small scale when they took over the land. But they always had enemies. So what we're reading there is something very special that God has promised Israel. He promised that you will have a Messiah come and sit on the throne of David. That David's throne would become an eternal throne. It talks about. That's never happened. But yet, just 60 some years ago, 68 years ago, Israel became a nation again after 2,000 years. How crazy is that? How crazy is it the Bible said that would happen? Wow, maybe the Bible's true. What do you think? Okay, this is going to happen. Now, as you read through Isaiah, you realize that this will happen when God turns his eyes back to Israel. See, when Jesus Christ died on the cross and he was rejected by Israel, God turned his face away from Israel. That's what the Bible says. He turned his face away, not to not turn back, but to turn his face to the church. But his face will turn back to Israel. And I'm not going to get this uh, sidetracked. It's not what I wanted to go through today. But as we, as we talk about in the future about uh, you know, future events, the tribulation and the second coming of Christ, that all plays into what is going to happen when Jesus returns after the tribulation. By the way, the tribulation is not a judgment on Israel. A lot of people think it is. It's not a judgment on Israel. It's a judgment on the nations that are against Israel. If you notice the great tribulation, which is the last three and a half years, the Antichrist has one goal. And that is to go after Israel. He seeks them. That's why the Bible says in that day, if you see this coming, he's talking to Israel. If you see it coming, don't even go in and pack anything, just run. Just run because he's coming after you with everything he has. But if you run and you go, I will protect you, the Bible says. So through that period of time, Jesus is going to protect his chosen ones. But by this time, remember we read in Revelation 3, by this time, the church is already gone. That church age dispensation is over with says that in Revelation 3, verse 10, that before the tribulation of that time, he will take the church home. Jesus Christ will. So, So, Jesus Christ then, through the tribulation, takes care of his people. His focus turns back to his people. And he takes care of them. And when he comes this second time, he comes in power. He comes in authority. He takes earthly authority, and takes the throne of David. And then there's this thousand-year period. Thousand-year period where Jesus sits on an earthly throne, and he rules the world with an earthly ruling. That's what Isaiah 60 is talking about. That's when it's going to happen. That's what the Bible teaches is in Israel's future. So I want to, remember I said that there are parallels to the church and Israel. Don't look at us as, as two completely different things. Okay, there are parallels that God promises that what he promises Israel has been promised to the church. There are some additions, some differences, but let's, let's look at that. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And Paul has the honor here of being able to, first, first of all, when Paul was called, okay, you have the apostles and they're all out, you know, building the church of Acts and, and they're all out talking to Jews and, and then Peter, you know, gets this, this angel, speaks to him in a vision and says, go see Cornelius and, and, you know, his whole family gets saved and Peter realizes, wow, this is for the Gentiles too. How cool is that? Well, see, it's no longer just for Jews. In fact, it's no longer for Jews who believe that the Messiah has not come. See, there to, to be a part of, of God's church today, to have salvation in him, he, doesn't, he no longer requires you to be a Jew and believe in the, the Jewish sacrifices and to to do the Jewish sacrifices. Instead, we're to believe in the Messiah that did come. Believe that Jesus Christ came, died on the cross for our sins, rose again on the third day and sits at the right hand of the Father. See, and God specifically called Paul, who was like the Jew of Jews, (laughs) Pharisees of Pharisees, he says, God called Paul to preach to the Jews. I find that hilarious because I, I think I think that that probably irritated Paul at the beginning. Like, really? See, because he hated Gentiles. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Last thing you would ever see Paul with is a Gentile or or you know a Samaritan or anything not to do with the Jewish custom. And yet, that's what God called him to. Let's read about that because he reveals this. In, his, in Scripture, in, in Ephesians. Let's start at verse, um, verse 8. To me, talking about Paul, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. What was that grace? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? Verse ten. So that actually, before we go to verse ten, what, what what's what's he saying there? What is the plan to the mystery hidden for all ages? What was the what was the mystery? The mystery was to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. See, in the Old Testament, the Gentiles weren't allowed. They weren't allowed to. They had to become Jews. They had to do the Jewish rites out of Leviticus. So what he's saying is is that that this mystery was that the Gentiles were going to be included in this. Verse 10. Why why did he do this? Verse 10 answers that. So that through the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities In the heavenly places. What's he saying there? He's saying that he had the privilege to preach to the Gentiles this hidden mystery that nobody knew. Because you didn't find it. They didn't know it in the Old Testament. They didn't know it in the Jewish synagogue. That the Gentiles would be grafted in. That the Gentiles would be included in this about following God about being his people about being adopted into a family he said he I've said, been given the privilege to preach that and reveal this great mystery that has been a mystery to the Jewish nation since Adam or since Abraham at least so I want you to turn then to Colossians chapter 1 let's look at this a little further because see uh, let's see that was Colossians chapter 1 and we're going to start at verse 26 and this further talks about this is something Paul was talking about further talks about that mystery and uh, verse 26 and 27 say this, The mystery hidden for all, all ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, in, which is Christ in you, the hope of his glory. See, it changed. It changed when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave, sits at the right hand of the Father, it changed because when we follow Jesus Christ, He now lives in us. See, that didn't happen in the Old Testament. That didn't happen before Jesus Christ came. But as soon as Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and He spent 40 days with His apostles, He said, you want me to leave? Trust me, you want me to leave? Because I'm going to send, or my Father's going to send you the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit can be in each. And when we accept Jesus Christ into our hearts, He is in our hearts. He comes to us individually. See, that's part of the mystery that was hidden before. That now is before us. That now is plain. But you know what? It's not the only mystery. Because of what we just read before, what Paul said before in... um, In Ephesians, remember he said this will reveal, his his joy was to reveal the mysteries to who? It wasn't to us. It wasn't to people. I don't have it here, but uh, I went the wrong way. It was to the spiritual kingdom, right? The mystery was to reveal to the angelic host. To those who are in this unseen kingdom, right? So we have Paul saying the church has been grafted in to the promises of Israel. Turn one more place on that Romans 11. Romans 11, and we're going to just read verse 11. Romans 11.11 says this, So I ask, did they stumble talking about Israel? Did they stumble in order that they might fall? He says, by no means. Rather, through their trespass, which is Israel, salvation has come to the Gentiles. It was through them rejecting the Messiah... That salvation came to the Gentiles. That was this great mystery. That was this amazing mystery, right? Okay, but I want to point something else out here because most people stop there. And it's important not to stop. Why? So as to make Israel jealous. That's the epiphany that hit me last night. Why, God? Why... Why? Why do you have these, these promises that you, you made to Israel and then, and then it changed when you died on the cross? It changed to open up to the Gentiles. But what about how all this comes about in the end? See, it, 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 I don't know. It, for me, what he's been showing me about this coming glory on the earth, this coming revival on the earth, it, it, it just was hitting me. How then, Lord, do you get back to Israel? And when I read this, it just jumped out at me is what he did in these last 2,000 years in glorifying the church was to make Israel jealous. Think about that for a second. How would you make Israel jealous? Has Israel been jealous of us so far, of the church? No. I mean, for 2,000 years since Paul said this, they they weren't even a nation again. They didn't become a nation until 1948. Since 1948, have they been jealous of the church? No. Perhaps they've been jealous of America. Perhaps they've been jealous of of what different nations might have. But they've not been jealous of us spiritually. But yet they're going to be. See, there's no way that God can take the church out of this until Israel sees the glory that Jesus Christ placed on the church. He can't. And that's that's what it says in Revelation. He can't do that. Why? Because Israel has to get jealous. Don't forget that. And let's turn back now to Revelation 3, where we've been for a while. Just keep going back to it. You got to have it memorized by now. (laughs) Revelation 3, this is the letter to the church of Philadelphia. And let me point out, as I've done before, it's really important to understand that these letters were to the church. These letters were not to Israel. These letters were not to the Pharisees. These letters were not to those who did not believe in Jesus Christ. These letters were to the church. To believing Christians that were at that time actual physical churches that believed, like you and me, they believed Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. So this letter was written to them. Now the Church of Philadelphia, as we've said before, is kind of the one that everybody wants to be because they're they they had no problems or, or no. No you know, specific things that are pointed out. And they're also the ones where there's an incredible promise that, that we talk about. When we talk about the rapture, we go to Revelation 3, verse 10. The harpazo, that, that's, that's when Jesus Christ comes, meets us in the cloud, and takes his church home, right? That's in verse 10. But until just a few weeks ago, I shared with you, verse 9 became so huge to me. Let's read verse 9 again. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, those who say they are Jews are not, but are not, but lie, behold. Now, by the way, let me back up a second there. These are people that say they believe in God, say they believe in a God, but lie. They say that they, they trust you. They say that they love you, but they lie. Basically, that's the world. Okay? This is the world at the beginning of verse 9. Let's continue. So the world, behold, I will make the world, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Does that sound familiar? Does it sound like something we just read in Isaiah 60? Yeah, it does. And and that's why most theologians believe that this is something that is just referring to the Jews and to Israel and what's going to happen in in the thousand-year reign. See, but there's a problem with that. There are two problems with that. One, it comes before the rapture. And two, this letter was not written to them. The letter was written to the church. So what we're seeing is a parallel promise. Okay? In Isaiah 60, we saw this promise that, that Israel was going to become a glorified power before the world. That the world was going to bow down to Israel as this glorified power because their king has taken the throne. And we're going to see that happen. Remember, we haven't seen that yet. We're going to see that happen in the thousand-year reign of Christ. By the way, if you're saved, you're going to be part of that. That's going to be so cool. I can't wait. That's going to be really cool. Hope they have skiing. Because then I'll be a perfect skier. Right? I always think about that with golf, too. Although, it would get a little boring. What, what do you score in golf? Today? I got an 18. Because it's a hole in one every time, right? Those golfers, you get what I'm talking about. But it's going to happen. See, that's the promise he made to Israel. But yet, this promise to the church is the same thing. Let's read it again. Second half, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. So there's going to come a point in the church's history when the rest of the world, those who say they believe in a God but don't, they lie, or they might say, well yeah I, I, I even follow your God, I, I even believe in in God, but you know they lie, their life doesn't show it, and we're going to get into this a little bit here, but they're going there's going to come a time where they bow down to the church, they give honor to the church, and and that's not that's not a bowing down of you know conquering, okay. Why? Because it doesn't say so that they will see how powerful you are. It says so that they see how much I have loved you. See, this glory isn't about the church's glory. This glory is about Jesus Christ's glory. Jesus Christ's glory is going to be on the church so great in a physical sense in this world that the world will see it. So don't be confused when you see things changing and all of a sudden things seem a little out of control. See, the control has to shift. The control has to shift from, from man's control to God's control. And it's going to do it in every aspect of our lives. It's going to do that and has been doing that right here at Ignition. It's going to do that in the greater seams of the body of Christ. See, as Jesus Christ takes control of the church to glorify Him in the church, that means He's starting to rip control away from us. That means in your personal life, He's going to start saying, look, I need the control, not you. Why? Because I've got to glorify you. I've got to show the world how much I love you. So you've got to let go. You've got to let go and let him work. Because we have this great promise. This is huge. Do you know what this means? See, because we're at the end. We're very close to his return. We know it's within the generation of the olive tree budding, which was when when the nation of Israel became a nation again. See, it can't be 500 years from now. The Bible says we'll know the season. We may not know the day nor the hour, but we'll know the season. And I'm believing more and more that that season is when the world sees the power of Jesus Christ through His church. And he's he's glorified through it. And from that, he shows his love for the church. How else is he going to show his love for the church to the world unless he shows it in ways that the world speaks? In power. In authority. In wealth. What they don't speak is love. They don't know love. So the very thing that is going to show them Christ's love is when the bride loves them and shows them love. And and that's what we're going to get into a little bit next week is what brings on... We're going to go back into Isaiah next week. And we're going to look at... Because Isaiah talks about... So you can read ahead if you want to. (laughs) uh, What Isaiah talks about is what brings on... That promise. What brings on the, the promise of God reigning through Israel over all the nations. And see, just as the promise parallels the church, we're going to see that it's the same parallel for us in how we do it. And it's all about this thing called love. But, but let's, let's, let's go a little further with this. So we see this, this glory coming. We see this glory about to happen in the church. And I believe the timing, I believe we're there at the timing. Because this also isn't something that happens overnight. Jesus is not going to physically come like he is after the tribulation. After the tribulation, it's overnight. Literally. He comes, he conquers, When it's time, he just says, grab him by the throat and throw him in hell. And so then he just goes and the angel goes and grabs Satan by the throat, throws him in hell. Just like that. See, but this time, he wants to give glory and show how much he loved the church. That is a process. That is a process of the church loving people and putting us in positions of authority throughout the world. That's what he's about to do. That's what he's doing this election. Don't be confused about that. Don't be, don't be scared of that. God is in control of this thing. Believe me. Believe his word. Because he says he is. We're going to see God's glory through this whole thing. But I want you to turn one more place. Second Timothy 3. And this is talking about, Paul, Paul is writing a letter to Timothy. And, and through, throughout this letter, he's talking about you know, teaching Timothy how to lead in the church and, and, and what the church is about. He's talking about the church and he's talking to Christians here. Okay? And, and he's giving some insight to, to Timothy as to some prophecy as to what's about to happen that we're about to experience some 2,000 years later. Okay, so let's begin in verse 1. But under actually, hold on. Uh, now, if we look back, okay, we're, we're not going to read it, but I'll just explain what, what Paul was saying before we start this chapter 3. He was talking about what it takes to, to be a Christian, what it takes to be close to Jesus Christ, what it takes to be approved by God. You know, and he goes into all those things, and Timothy, here's how, here's how you act. Here's how a Christian is supposed to be. Then we come to verse 1 of chapter 3. But understand this, Timothy, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And let's stop there for a second because I want to make something clear here. (laughs) He's not talking about the world. Okay, he's not talking about the world here. He's talking about the church. He's talking about those in the church who have an idea of who God is, but haven't drawn an intimacy with God in their relationship with him. How many Christians do you know the gossip? How many don't know a Christian that got, you know, yes. Everybody knows Christians that gossip. That's slander. If we go down through that list, it's easy to, well, yeah, he's talking about the world. The world's going to get pretty bad. No, that's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is the church is going to get pretty bad. See, the church will have a semblance of who I am, but not know exactly who I am. Why? Because Jesus Christ took this this precious gift of salvation and he broke it into three parts. We've talked about it before. The first part is justification. We are justified in Jesus Christ when we accept him into our hearts. That is, in essence, our ticket to heaven. When you get that, when you accept him, is it 100% by grace given by him? When you accept him, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Guaranteed. Period. Guaranteed. Until you receive it. But then there's a second part to salvation. This thing we call sanctification. And that's that's a... I I, I wish there was a better word for that. (laughs) Relationship, maybe. Because sanctification is from the second you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, you become sealed by the Holy Spirit. Every breath you take in life until your last breath, that is your sanctification. That is your relationship with Jesus Christ. You know as well as I do, many, 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 many people don't go beyond that first step. Sometimes they don't know to. Sometimes they're not taught to. Sometimes they don't know how to. Or sometimes they might go beyond that first step in relationship to him through knowledge. That's what happened to me for 40 years. I studied the word of God and and understood the word of God and and, and thought through gaining that knowledge I was gaining intimacy with Jesus Christ. But it wasn't true. There was a level of of understanding in just the the knowledge that would not take me to the intimacy. It was from understanding that there was more in this intimacy with Jesus Christ, in this relationship with him, that took me beyond that. So let's keep going. Remember, we're talking about Christians here. We're talking about the church. Paul's saying in the last days, this is what the church is going to look like. Or at least some in it. Verse 5. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. That word there for power in the Greek is dunamis. That word of power there is the very same word it uses when it talks about the works of Jesus Christ. See, the power is not just in believing It's not just in believing Jesus Christ and that's the power. No. Because Jesus said, the Father will send the Holy Spirit in power. So what it's talking about here is in the end times, there's going to be Christians that have an appearance of being a Christian and yet they deny the very power of God. The very miraculous work of the Lord they deny it. Verse 6. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Verse 7 is what I want to end with and it it goes back to what I said earlier, always learning. Remember he's talking about the church. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Always learning. Always studying. Always looking at scripture, eating it up for the history of what it is. You know, I I know prophecy now. I can teach prophecy, and there was a pride in that for me. (laughs) Ha ha I can tell you what's going to happen. There was a pride in that for me. When I did it, I wanted that knowledge because I felt that knowledge drew me closer to Jesus Christ. But there was a pride in that for me. And he says here, in the end times, there will be people like that in the church that are always learning, always constantly pulling in knowledge from the Word of God. But yet they never arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Which is what? The power behind it. The power behind your relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, the word of God talks about when when we are saved, when we have a relationship and intimacy with him, there are things that are going to come out of us in power. Same word, dunamis. Talking about these miracles, these works of God. That's crazy to me. It's it's crazy how I studied the Word of God for so many years, and 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 never saw that these, these things applied to me. You know, here I, I I was always in church leadership. I was teaching the Word of God. I, I remember my first adult class was when what was I twenty five? I had hundred hundred adults, and I'm teaching them Genesis and going through all this stuff in detail, so, so excited because of what I learned. I learned this. What I didn't understand was what I should have been teaching was relationship. And not that knowledge is bad. Please understand. The knowledge isn't the problem. It's the application of the knowledge. See, you can be the most knowledgeable Christian in the world, and yet not have intimacy with Jesus Christ and miss the whole thing. I, I don't know about you, but that, that's huge to me. Now, I'm not talking about missing heaven because, you know, if you are just fighting Christ, you've accepted Him as Savior, you've got your golden ticket. So physically you have that promise. You have that safety. But you know what? There is an intimacy to Jesus Christ. That costs you. See, that's what cost. Ask him in, asking him into our heart didn't cost us anything; cost him everything. Didn't cost us hundred percent grace, hundred percent given to us by him. We don't have to. All we have to do is believe and accept. That's it. But that next step, that sanctification process, that process of intimacy with Jesus Christ. See, that'll cost you everything. Don't assume that that will just cost you a little bit. Your relationship with Jesus Christ will be directly proportional to what it costs you. If your Christian walk hasn't cost you anything, it's probably not worth anything. There's probably no intimacy there. Why? Because it can't. You can't relate to Him. Because to Him it cost everything. So unless you have cost in your life for Jesus Christ, you can't relate. There's no intimacy there. For those of you who are married or have had close relationships with people, you know that relationship getting stronger and stronger, you have to go through trials, Right? It costs you something. And to grow, Alexa and I have been been married now going on 28 years. And for us to grow together in relationship, falling deeper and deeper in love, it wasn't just because we sat back and, and everything was good and woo, feeling good. She's awesome and I love her. No, it wasn't that. There were times where we came together and said, This isn't working anymore. And we're at a crossroads. See, if you don't compromise or I don't compromise, we're going to go different ways. So we had to compromise in our relationship. It's no different with Jesus Christ. And if you don't think he compromises in his relationship with you, you're sorely mistaken. If there was no compromise by Jesus Christ, our lives would be looking very different. But yet in our relationship with him, as he brings us through and as he teaches us, oftentimes he teaches us through failure. You know, well, I, I, I thought God wanted me to go this way, and but I kind of wanted to do it, and I kind of did this, and... And hit, hit some walls and hit some, some problems. And, and, you know, God allowed me to go that way because he knew he could teach me in it. Was that pre- his preference? Probably not. I remember my freshman year and I've told this story where I, all growing up I knew I was called to, to be in the ministry and went through something in, in my freshman year of college and just changed everything for me. I wanted to control at that point. And that then took the next 25 years of my life, of trial and error, of God teaching me. Do you think God wanted me to make the choices I did when I was a freshman? No. I know he didn't. Do you think God compromised with me and allowed me to do it? Yeah. Yeah. How do I know that? Because he didn't let go of my hand. Because, see, he knew in my heart I still loved him. I I just didn't know how to deal with it without controlling because it hurt too much what I was going through. And he said, okay, I can teach you this way. It might take longer, (laughs) 25 years. If I'd have known it would take 25 years, I might have, okay, Lord, let's do it your way. But he does that. He compromises with us. And we compromise with him, saying, Lord, I don't know why you want me to do this, but I trust you, so I'll do it. See, that's relationship. That's relationship. That's sanctification. That's what he wants with each of us. That's what is going to, and we're going to talk next week, because I'm going to close here, but but we're going to talk... Next week, about what brings that about? What bring? Let, let's say for a second that we're all alive when Jesus Christ comes and takes His church home. Let's just say. Don't you want to know what's going to bring that about? Don't you want to be a part of that? Yeah that process has, it's begun already because it begins in the hearts of his people. I've seen it begun here in this church. I've seen hearts changed in dramatic, amazing ways. See, he's doing this in our hearts. Why? So he can show the world how much he loves us. As a church. Show the world how much he loves us. And that readies the bride for him to come and take the bride. How else will Israel ever be jealous? Unless they link the success of the church with God. See, they have to link that. They have to know that the church's success on a global scale is because God's hand is on the church so just just think with me for a second and, and let's just let's just think through this process let's just say that God is actually going to do what he says in verse 9 of chapter three in revelation and he brings this glory to the church to where the world sees how much God loves them He does this in authority. He does this in wealth. He does this in power. He does this in joy all throughout the globe. First of all, what you see from that is you see an incredible growth in the church. Not not just in intimacy, because you see that already. That has to be there. But you see this growth in numbers. You see this growth of the church, so it, it becomes something that that the world sees. You know, when, when you see somebody really successful, I, I don't know about you, I was, I was in business for 25 years, and, and I remember Alexa and I would go to these seminars, and if there was, if there was a person who was giving a seminar that they, they knew how to do it, and they'd done it, and we'd go and try and learn, right? We all do that. If you're up at 3 o'clock in the morning watching TV, you probably ordered some tapes on how to do that. Listen to so-and-so and and they make your life great, right? See, that's what we do as humans, but that's what the world's going to do to the church. They're going to see the glory of God in the church. And at the point where it is at its greatest, its height, where God's glory is shining all over the earth because Jesus Christ, is in the church and loves the church and they see him through it, that's when the bride's ready and that's when he takes the bride. Now imagine the perspective of Israel before that happens. Imagine that. When they see, when the, Israel being part of the world, even though they're God's chosen people, they're part of the world, they're going to see that that God loves the church and is for the church. Why they have to? We read it. It said it. They have to because they become jealous. Why? W- why was the church grafted into the promise? It said it back in uh, Ephesians because we'll be gr- or Colossians, whichever one. Yeah, Colossians one. That will be grafted in. Why? So Israel becomes jealous. So when the church is taken, now the enemy has control. Because the Holy Spirit is taken off the earth. Now you have this period of time, we at least know three and a half years, it could be some time before that, I don't know. Bible doesn't say but we at least have this three and a half years where the enemy then tries to step in and court Israel. Why? Because Israel saw that God loved his church. They became jealous of that, but yet still believing that they're God's chosen people. So when the church is taken out, the enemy then starts to court them, but Israel is not going to... They're not going to be fooled. At least a large portion of them will not be fooled. Why? Because it says that they will be protected. At that three and a half year mark, that midway, when when the Antichrist comes and and does the abomination of desolation and, and, and basically immediately turns on the Jewish nation, he said, run. But he protects them. You have to understand the point in time you're at. You have to understand what's what's about to happen. What God is about to do through the church is going to be so glorious in what he does, it will bring jealousy to Israel. Because they want it. They want Jesus. And by the way, Jesus will not return until they ask him to. So there has to be a point of reference in their mind where Jesus was the answer, and that's what the church is. Because, see, they're going to remember back. They, they're going through all these things. The Antichrist is after them. They're hiding, and Jesus is hes protecting them. But they're under incredible, incredible turmoil. And then they remember. Yeah, it was, it was, it was Jesus that loved the church, loved them so much, he... He took him out before all this started. Jesus, come and help us. Boom. He does. And then that brings on the promise of Isaiah 60. Where Israel will be made that glorious nation before all the nations. So we're going to talk about what's going to bring that up next week. Let's pray.